Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's always great to have you. The day is gorgeous out. It's about 75 degrees during the day and about 60 in the morning. So we're having a good day today. I am continuing my story, my abuse story in long form. Hopefully, I'm not boring you guys too much. I know my life isn't as exciting as maybe somebody else's, but, you know, it's mine. There's a lot of lessons to be learned, and you'll get to know me a little better. Last week, we left off. We went on vacation to the beach, and we found this church in New Jersey while we were on vacation. And they said that they needed a youth pastor and invited us to move up there and lead the youth group. So I really liked the church that we already helped to start, which was my Bible teacher's church. But Danny felt called to do this, and he always had shiny object syndrome for churches. You know, the other church was always more exciting than the one we were with at the time. We never stayed in one place for very long. You didn't get along with people. And going to be a pattern here. We said goodbye to Pastor Mike. We broke the lease on our home. The landlord wasn't too happy, but she said that we were good tenants and we left it in good condition. So on we go to New Jersey. So let me set the scene for you as to what kind of a place we're removing to and the people that we were going to serve. We going to the inner city of a New Jersey town. We were literally renting a home under the bridge. The town is four square miles and you could walk the whole entire town very easily. One not so fun fact is that there was a Ku Klux Klan headquarters in that town, which we'll hear more about later. We were close to the docks of the Delaware River course being under a bridge. Workers worked on the docks during the day but after five o'clock the workers had to be across those railroad tracks which signified they were out of the town. So being a KKK town no black people were allowed in the town after five o'clock. On the docks, there were six workers. It's usually that comes with the territory. 
So that was the red light district was three or four streets down from our rental property. Most of the town was on government assistance or they were retired. The ones that were working were blue collar workers. We were a mile from a very dangerous city called Camden, which we would be going in to serve frequently. Our town either smelled like sewage or popcorn. Let me explain the popcorn part. <laughs> there was a paper mill not far from where we lived. And when they were making paper, you could smell it coming out of the pipes. And it smelled like popcorn. <laughs> Strangest thing in the world. And living underneath the bridge, the days that they maintained that bridge were very noisy repairing those rivets. New Jersey food was wonderful though. They had this water ice place that was so good. Now Jersey, they call it water ice. That's how you say it. And of course, New Jersey is famous for their tomatoes. If you did not know this, but New Jersey is a huge swamp and cities were built on top of these swamps. So you had very fertile, very rich soil, which to plant gardens. And it is called the garden state for that reason. And they had very good Italian food in that area. The town was very close knit as you would expect for a small town. Everyone knew everyone, and everyone was in everybody's business. <laughs> the landlord, who was next door to us, was a retiree from the Navy, and he had two Dobermans behind the fence in his yard that would come tearing up to the front of the fence to bark at anybody that came near the landlord. They were very nice dogs, by the way, when they got to know us. And I was actually pretty glad that we had dogs next door because the landlord would not let us have a dog. The realtor was a Christian and he found the row home that we were going to be renting. And he knew everybody. Now a row home, if you don't know what that is, watch any show on taking place in any back east city you will see row homes they're like townhomes i'd say townhomes were a little nicer and newer but the same concept everything stacked on top of each other so this town was very old and the house that we were in was 200 years old so I think it was, you know, around the Civil War area when it was built. If I'm doing my math correctly. It had plaster walls with who knows what was in those walls. But it had really lovely crown molding that I really enjoyed. It had a 
an actual basement where the washer and dryer was. Not a finished basement. It was see brick floor and it was cold and damp down there. But we had a finished attic. We had a gas fireplace, which looked really nice in the front parlor. I liked the house a lot, actually. It was very Victorian looking. It was heated with radiators, so it was kind of, you had to be creative how you arranged the furniture in those rooms because the, the furniture didn't quite fit the way you wanted it to. <laughs> uh, like all old houses, there was no central air conditioning and New Jersey summers are hot and humid. So you had to get room air conditioners to survive in the summer. So we had one downstairs, I believe. I don't remember if it was the kitchen or the living room. And then we had one in the bedroom where we slept. You know, the church was very nice to come over and help us unload the truck. And the ladies came over later to get me set up and unpack everything, which we appreciated. The teenagers that came and helped us move our stuff into the house, they kind of threw stuff wherever they feel liked it. And Danny was pretty upset when they damaged a few items that were not cheap to replace. The funny thing is they had this, the staircase was very narrow and it kind of, kind of bent strangely. And so we had to take the box spring apart to get it up those stairs. And my father-in-law was the one that came up with that idea because his father was a mattress maker in his day. So he said, cut the boards and we'll be able to maneuver it around that bend in the staircase. And then we will hammer the hammer it back together when we get it upstairs. So that was a task. So we got all moved in and let me tell you about the church building. It was a very small building in the middle of town and it had the sanctuary on the top floor with the baptistry, wooden pews. Then downstairs in the basement was the fellowship hall slash Sunday school classroom. And then there was a small, very small bathroom. And that was it. I think the pastor's office was downstairs too. So very small church, old, needed lots of repairs. Pastor Jim, pastor was a Navy veteran, I believe from my memory serves me well and he said that he used to be a drunk that was his thing before he got saved i remember some of his story he and his wife robin were married for probably 25 years when we met they had gotten saved after they had been married for a long time so they had gone through quite a bit but they're now, you know, obviously both saved and not drinking anymore. But the pastor's preaching was 
very Hiles Anderson-ish. I don't remember if that's the school that he went to, but he definitely preached that camp meeting style. It was the first time that I had been in a church that preached all about secondary and tertiary things. There wasn't a whole lot of Bible preaching that I could remember. What I remembered was preaching about pants on women. That was his big thing. Earrings on men, their britches drooping. Believe me, I'm not a fan of when the boys wear their pants down. Uh, what else did he preach on? Preached on soul winning. He was really big on soul winning and missions. He preached a lot about throwing your television out, which that's very Hiles Anderson type preaching. He used to, but Jack Hiles used to smash the TV set on his pulpit. Well, I think that Pastor Jim would have done that too. If he had a TV set, uh, the problem is that me and Danny had a TV and we watched the TV. Now we were very careful what we watched, but we did watch the TV and he was very adamant that TV was evil and that you should not be watching TV at all. You were sinning against God if you had a TV in your house. And they had sermons on modesty and submitting to your husband. And those are the only kind of sermons that I remembered. He was very dogmatic about women not working outside the home. The husband was the breadwinner. Now, we didn't have children. Me and Danny, did. we had just celebrated our, well, I loosely say celebrated. We just passed our one-year anniversary. So we hadn't been married very long. But, of course, they all expect you to have children right away. And you should be pregnant with your first child by now. Danny would say to me, well, you don't have anything to do at home. There's no reason why you can't work. I didn't feel there was any reason why I shouldn't work either. What am I going to do all day? Sit and bake cookies? And he started his bivocational job fixing equipment. He worked for a division of Tandy Corporation, if you remember Radio Shack, where it used to be in the day you could take your VCR, or your TV, your electronic device, and you could get it fixed. Well, that's what he would do. And then on the weekends, we would do the church ministry and in the evenings. But he wasn't making very much money. And so we were pretty much forced to have me work anyway. And... So I got a job cleaning houses, and they didn't really like that very much. They said that, you know, I should be working in the ministry and helping the pastor's wife with 
stuff and they put a lot of pressure on us because we were Bible college graduates and they were very few people in the church that were Bible college graduates. So I think at one point I quit the job cleaning houses and I started doing a paper route because then I would be able to do the ministry during the day with the other ladies and I could still bring in some money. So that was probably a huge mistake because you had to get up at three o'clock in the morning. If you've ever done a paper route, <laughs> it is still dark out and it's in the winter time. I think, I don't remember what month it was that we moved. I think it was the summer. Yeah, it was the summer because my father-in-law was complaining about being overheated. But when the winter came around, it's really, really cold. And you had to get up at 3 o'clock to do that paper route. And all the papers had to be delivered by 5.30. So I would get on my Wolverine snow boots and... Uh, my thermal underwear and two pairs of socks and a coat and I did this paper route by myself in the middle of the night in New Jersey and I should have had my head examined and God had protected me but I had started to get sick I don't know what caused it it may have been stress but I got sick. I had digestive problems. I didn't have a bowel movement for 12 days and stomach pains. And I think it was probably stress because it was my story progresses. You will see what kind of stress we were under. And so it was either I was constipated and then when the constipation ended, then the opposite happened. The diarrhea would start. And you're delivering papers in the middle of the night and you didn't just throw it out the window and hope it lands on the driveway. You had to get out of the car and you had to walk up to their porch and you had to put the paper on their porch. And I had an apartment complex too that I did. You had to go inside the apartment complex, think one or two floors, and you had to put the paper in front of their door so when the diarrhea started I <laughs> there was nowhere to go to the bathroom it was just insane and so I had some close calls um but there was this Dunkin Donuts that was the only thing that was open in the middle of the night they were open at 2 a.m and there was the Dunkin Donuts on my route and I used to go into the Dunkin Donuts and of course, they're in the back making donuts. And I would run to their, the back of their store and use the bathroom. And then I had to finish delivering those papers by 5.30 or there'd be phone calls made to the newspaper. And they, uh, I would leave the store. And of course, the bell would ring as soon as I would, you know, open the door. And then the, the store owner would come to the counter and there would be nobody there. <laughs> I did this like probably every day. 
I don't think he ever caught me. He was like, oh, I did that constantly. Um, but it was cold. It was wet. And there were a few times that I was sick and I had begged Danny to get up and help me do the paper route because I needed somebody to drive. So one of us would drive and the other one would run up and put the paper on the door. You know, because it was a lot faster to do it with two people. I don't think I did that very long because, for one, it messed up my biological clock. You know this, if you've ever done shift work. And so, during the day, I would do the song winning club with the ladies. And I would teach music lessons too the people in the church that wanted lessons. I would finish the paper route at 5.30 and I would get home about six. And if I didn't have any, any, anywhere to go for the church, then I would go back to sleep. And that's when it was Danny's time to get up to go to his day job. You know, I complain about him not ever wanting to have sex, but when he did, seem interested it was at the most inopportune times the most inconvenient times you know you're exhausted when you come home from a night shift you want to go to bed and that was when he would decide that he would want to have sex and so well i guess guess i have to accommodate your request because that's the only time i was ever going to get any anywho i don't think i had that job for very long i remember that doing laundry the laundry's in the basement and i would put the laundry in the washer and i would forget all about that there was laundry in the washer of course by the time i remembered it i had wash down there it was already dried up and smelly and i had to redo it and i <laughs> found some really strange things in the refrigerator that uh, didn't belong in the refrigerator and you know it kind of interfered with the things at the church at night because if we would have conferences or revivals revivals went pretty late I had to be in bed by eight o'clock to get up at three and the teens they had they had this overnight thing I think it was New Year's, a New Year's thing, where we stay up all night roller skating um, and playing games and doing fun things. And so you had to stay up all night. Well, I had to get up to go do that paper route. Let me tell you, that was, that was a rough day, <laughs> as you can imagine. But yeah, I got interfered with a lot of things but I really couldn't deal with being sick with my digestive problems and messing up my my sleep schedule and so my mother-in-law worked for FedEx and my cousin and my husband's cousin worked for FedEx as a driver and then Danny used to work at the hub at FedEx at one time and he was, you know, in charge of parking all the vehicles. 
And so my mother-in-law suggested that I apply for FedEx. So I applied to FedEx and it was a really long process. They're very picky about their people that they hire because you know, FedEx has a 98% delivery rate on time. And you had to be exactly on time, not one minute late, not one second late. And so, and they paid really well. I think paid very generous in my eye, but it was an hour drive. But I really wanted the job and there was a lot of benefits at that time. You could fly anywhere in the world on a FedEx plane if you flew jump seat, which means you flew with the cargo on a bucket seat behind the pilot. So I wanted to travel and I wanted to see the world. And so I thought that was very attractive and I applied and I got the job. I never got to use the benefit for flying. Um, Danny did because um, later when we moved to Phoenix, he flew on a FedEx plane to check out the houses, find us a place to live. Uh, but my, my in-laws flew all the time. They so anyway, I had the job at FedEx and I stood up during testimony time at church and I said, what is your praise today, Sister Diana? And I would say, oh, praise the Lord. The Lord provided me a really good job and with FedEx and I, I'm making a lot of money and yeah, it's a long drive, but I can fly anywhere in the world. I have really great people I work with and, you know, I was just so excited about this job. And most of the time when you give a praise, they would say, amen, you know, good job, sister, or, you know, something to encourage you. All I got was crickets. There was dead silence in that church. When I told them that I got a job at FedEx. Because again, they were not for me working at all because I should be doing the ministry work during the day and make my husband make all the money. Um, so that was kind of embarrassing. I just kind of sat down like, what just happened here? Again, I didn't have any children to take care of. I understand it would be a different story if I had a child that I had to care for. Uh, so that's the kind of church it was. It was, it pretty much, you know, shame you if you weren't uh, following their protocols of what they thought a Christian wife should be or what they thought um, a, a good missionary should be. And let's talk about pastor's wife. Now, Robin was a short, spunky brunette who loved the Lord. Her excitement was infectious. Always had a smile on her face, but she was very, she wouldn't take baloney off of anybody. So I really enjoyed working with her. I think that when they asked us to come work with them and 
starting this very small church of probably less than 20 people, most of which who were teenagers. <laughs> I think that she was a reason that I was excited to go and move to a new place and start over. We did have one little disagreement. It was my turn to do the babysitting at the church while the ladies went out soul winning. This was church-wide visitation. And I had come in a, what we call a jumper. It was a tie-dye cotton jumper that you would put over a t-shirt. It went down to my knees, probably just above the knee, and it was really baggy. Not flattering in any sense of the word, but I came in to watch the kids and, you know, we're playing on the floor and running around and I didn't feel the need to be dressed up for the kids. So I came in to watch the children and Robin came up to me and took me into the bathroom and said, I think your outfit's really cute, but you can't wear that because the teenagers will think that they can go and wear a similar outfit. And I said, while I'm modestly dressed, there's nothing wrong with this jumper. She said, well, it's technically pants or shorts. You're not wearing culottes, which is kind of like a split skirt. You're not wearing culottes and you're not wearing a dress or a skirt. So I need you to go home and change your clothes. I said, really? And I stood there for a minute. I was pretty angry because I felt that if I'm modestly dressed, then, you know, what's the big deal? But I didn't want to ruin my testimony. I didn't want to throw a fit and look immature. Um, I was a mile from the church building, so I walked home, changed my clothes into a skirt, and then came back to the church and watched the children. And yeah, I wasn't very happy about that, but I think that, according to my memory, that's the only time we disagreed on anything. I want to talk about the music next because that was a huge deal to me. As I was saying, the the choir they had a little a little bitty choir. Um they had somebody in charge of the music. I can't even remember his name. But they had a few people up there in the choir. The choir director couldn't really sing that well. He was up there to do the meaningful arm movements to keep everybody at least at the same tempo. Nobody in the choir could really hold a pitch. The piano player, and they had an old time stand up piano and it wasn't tuned. Some of the keys weren't working. We had one pianist besides me. Well, I'll call her Phyllis because I can't remember anybody's names today. 
Phyllis was really passionate about piano playing, but she liked to do, you know, the fillers. You got your melody line and then, you know, the piano player can do a little bit of fill-ins to make it sound nicer and show your creativity. She was so interested in those fillers that she was usually late coming back in for what was to be the melody line for the congregation to sing. Uh, so, but we were friends. I really liked her. She was a great lady. Uh, there was one gal in the church that was in the, the small choir that we had who I would have as my first voice student. And I will tell you why, because when we visited the church on vacation, Danny volunteered that I could sing. And so the pastor said, hey, how about you get up there and sing? I've been singing my whole life. You could ask me to sing something, you know, without any preparation. I can pick a song and I can get up there and sing. No problem. I think I sang In the Garden, which is a pretty standard hymn. They'd only let you sing hymns to begin with. <laughs> so I sang In the Garden. And then the pastor heard that I could actually sing. And every service that we had, he decided that he was going to ask me to sing a song. And in the first couple of times he did it, it was like, oh, okay, sure. And I'd, you know, rack my brains in the then I would tell Phyllis which song it was I was singing out of the hymn book. Yeah, I would sing. But after a few times of that, I told him that, you know, I would really like to know ahead of time if you're going to have me sing. And so I can pick a song. I can practice it with Phyllis and it would sound really nice. And so I made plans to sing on the days that he picked. I think the choir director would sing special music when I wasn't singing. And then they had the star of the show, we'll call him Alvin. He was this short 70-year-old gentleman and he was supposedly the karaoke champion at the local bar. I've never even seen any karaoke in that town, but apparently he was the karaoke champion. He would get up there to sing. And the song was Set My Soul Fire, which I'm familiar with. You know, it goes, Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. And he got up there to sing. <laughs> it was unrecognizable. So, set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. And it was probably one of the first times in my life that I wanted to cover my ears or leave the room because it was sincerely awful. <laughs> um, but apparently that church believed that 
you could get up there and sing if you wanted to sing. And they didn't really care if you could sing. Well, they apparently they did care because they asked me to sing constantly, but they let anybody up there sing. And nobody could tell Alvin that he couldn't sing. And I sure wasn't going to be the one. But we got home and Danny's like, that was that was terrible. <laughs> and just just to say, yes, the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord in the Psalms. Yes, he does say that. That word noise is translated war cry. So they're not necessarily talking about singing special music. Yes, when we're doing congregational singing, everybody should be singing, whether you can sing or not. But special music is just that. We're supposed to get up there and edify the local church. We're not getting up there because we want to get attention or we want to show off or we think that we can sing. Where is Simon Cowell when you need him? Uh, the Bible also says, sing skillfully with a loud voice. The musicians in the temple in the Old Testament during when the temple was up and they were holding sacrifices, the temple musicians were paid and they were paid because they were skillful. They were also not required to pay any taxes because they served in the temple. Back to the musicians in the church, there was this one gal that came up to me after church after I sang and she said, I want to sing just like you. And, you know, part of me, I was flattered and part of me was Oh, I have to be really tactful in my answer because she got up there to sing as a soloist. And unfortunately, she sounded like one of those cats in heat on the back alley wall. Really wonderful lady. She just loved the Lord. She'd recently gotten saved and she was one of the the sex workers actually that worked along the docks at one point and she had been saved out of that she had four children under 12 years old and each of them had different fathers and she was a single mother and so she had a rough a rough go at it and the church was trying to help her to live for jesus i really admired her and her willingness to live for Christ amidst her struggles. So when she said to me, I want to sing just like you, I told her, well, God has made us all very unique. You're never going to sound like me. And I didn't want that to sound arrogant. I didn't say it in an arrogant fashion. I meant that you are a unique creation of God. Your voice is beautiful the way God created it. My voice is different from Luciano Pavarotti. I am never going to sound like Pavarotti or I'm never going to sound like Joan Sutherland. Those are both 
opera singers. As much opera training as I've had, I will not sound like them. I can have the same technique, but who do I sound like? I sound like me. I sound like who God made me to be. And so I told this young lady, and it's terrible because I don't remember her name, but I told this lady that you will be the best version of you. So she asked me to teach her how to sing. And I asked the pastor if that was okay. And I felt that there was a need there to maybe give the church a little bit of instruction. And of course, since I was a woman and I would be teaching, I had to ask, ask the pastor that we were working with if it was okay. And he said that it was. So I put a little a little flyer on the bulletin board at church and offered to teach voice lessons at my home for $15. I think it was $15. So I had this lady, the single mom was my first student and then another student came who was a teen, one of the teen girls and she loved to sing and she wanted to know how to do it right and sing parts. And so I had my first two students and I taught voice out of my home to those who wanted it. And I got pretty, pretty decent results. I mean, I was pretty encouraged by the dedication of the students that came. And we have to focus on improvement because Again, not everybody is called to be a professional singer. Not everybody is going to have perfect technique, but what we're going for is musicianship and correct breathing and correct pitch, how to stand up there in front of the church and get over stage fright. And yeah, we didn't have very many people in the church. It was very small, but um, my students definitely had stage fright and I told them I have stage fright too. I've had it my whole life, but you kind of have to overcome that by God's given you a message to speak. God's given you a voice and you get up there and you serve the Lord in that way. So the single mom really made some great improvements. She worked very hard and she learned how to breathe. She learned learned how to hold a pitch and match the piano. And she got up there to sing her first solo and she was terrified and her voice was shaking. But I was so proud of her. She was, she made such great improvement and she really sounded pleasant. She really did. And people were blessed by her message that she gave. So that was probably one of the highlights is being able to help out with the music. I played the piano a few times when Phyllis could not, and um, it was really hard to play on a piano that wasn't tuned. <laughs> it didn't, didn't help me because piano playing isn't my first instrument, but I think we're going to have to do this in two or three different parts. So I'm going to stop the story at this stage. This is a good place to stop and continue on next week with this part of my story in New Jersey.
If you don't think it's crazy so far, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get bad. I hope to leave you with something positive today, which is some music to enjoy. So please come back next week. I appreciate you being here on the podcast along the journey with me. So we'll see you next week. God bless you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.